But if you would, turn in your Bibles, all of us who are still young at heart though, right? We want to make sure we add that there. To 2 Timothy this morning, if you would, to chapter 3. Uh, last Sunday, and I know we've been working through uh, 2 Corinthians, and last Sunday I, I, uh, we started church, uh, excuse me, started church. We, we got into chapter 10, <clears throat> and we talked about uh, this spiritual battle that we're in, right? So you and I are in a spiritual battle. Um, I had mentioned the story about Spurgeon, who was listening to the children read out of Daniel, and the one child said uh, about Daniel chapter 6, I believe, who said Daniel had a, an excellent spirit, is what the scripture says, but he misplaced spirit and said spine. Daniel has an excellent spine, and I commented and said, even though that's an incorrect reading, I would probably say theologically is true, Right? Daniel did have an excellent spine. He was strong and he stood for the Lord. He was told not to pray. And what does Daniel do? He opens his window. He prays. And so I I had mentioned that we're in this battle and Paul had touched on those things. And this morning I just wanted to take a, if you would, a a sidestep in Scripture and and just talk about um, what we have in the Scriptures to encourage you and to strengthen you about the power of the Word of God. There was a story of, of um, a physician who had heard that D.L. Moody was preaching close by, and he had planned in his heart to go listen to Moody and to basically make fun of him. He realized that Moody was not a, an intellect in this physician's mind, and he thought to go and have some laughs at his expense. So he went there, and he was listening, but he found himself that Moody had had, in his words, hid behind his Bible. And it seemed to this, this physician that no matter what he tried to do, that this, uh, God's word were, were, in essence, fired at him, at his heart, and he had no defense, and he found himself coming to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he later mentioned that he said, I'll tell you about Moody's power. He said his power comes from the way in which he has the Bible on the tip of his tongue. Well, I think you would agree with me that God's word hasn't changed. It's still God's word, and when it's on the tips of the tongues of God's people, it does what the Holy Spirit wants it to do. Faith comes by hearing, as Paul says in Romans, hearing by the word of God. So you and I need to be reminded and encouraged of just the power and mind of the Scriptures. Now, there's many passages we could look at, but I decided to simply come to Paul's advice to a young pastor. and What he says about the Scriptures beginning, this is 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, and we'll read from 14 to 17. Paul says this, You, speaking to Timothy, however, continue... And the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he says some words that I imagine are familiar to us. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped 
for every good work. Let me offer a brief prayer. Lord, as we look to your word now, I ask that your spirit would be with us, that your word would be open to us, that your spirit would be teaching us, that we would, Lord, not just come to understand and our knowledge, but Lord, we would come to see your word come alive in us, that we would be those who would live your word. Lord, bless this time. We commit it to you for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've simply titled this message, Living the Scriptures. I know that's going to change your life. My titles are just so moving and riveting. I realize that, but it's true to the point, right? As Christians, we want to know the Scriptures. We want to follow after, right, what God's Word says. We want to humbly walk with Him. In order to do that, we must know something about His Word. Uh, Last Sunday, I mentioned just earlier that uh, Paul had talked about the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he said, it is the divine power for the destruction of fortresses. If you remember, Paul was using all these military terms, right? He's coming, he's talking about war and warfare and strongholds. And so what is, right, our divine power? Well, in a word, the Scriptures, right? It's the Bible, And we know as Christians, right, if you've grown up in church or you've been in church for some time, hopefully you've been under a pastor who stresses the importance of the Bible. It's not enough simply to know some things and go, I'm I'm good, I've got it, right? I mean, sometimes we might feel that way. We might be those who say, you know what, I've I've taught it all, right? I've I've read it, I'm good, and it's like it's a pretty thick book. You may want to go back through it, right? But we stress the importance, the value of it, and, and why, why should we do that? Well, Paul has just told us. He said all of it is from God, all of it is profitable, and he speaks of a reality of you and I and everyone who professes Christ, that we are to be growing in our righteousness. We are to be growing and maturing. Paul tells us how to do this. And it's commanded. As he commands Timothy, it's written to us. So here are a few things Uh, this morning that I believe will help us, right? In the scriptures, as we stand for God's truth, as we stand against the culture, our confidence to speak God's word should come, right, from the reality that we know his word is true. So my first point is simply this. The scriptures call every believer to discipleship, right? You don't get to sit on your hands anymore. You don't get to be inactive. He's called you, Right, he says, you, however, continue. A couple of words that we want to point out, continue and convinced, right? Continue the things you have learned and become convinced of. Have some conviction about what I know. And Paul is saying, continue in it. Understand, right, those who have taught you this, where you've learned it from. You've learned it from the scriptures. He's had conversations with other people, right? Uh, Timothy understands these things. Paul is simply saying, look, you've learned these things, as he said in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, that your mother and your grandmother have taken time to unfold the scriptures for you. He understands the the Old Testament. That's what's being referenced here. And and of course, the New Testament is, is unfolding in front of them. So Paul says, you know in which you have learned. You've come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Your Your mother and grandmother that took the time, parents, right? They've taken the time to pour into you. Paul also realizes, I'm going to imagine that his name is also attached to that list. How cool would that have been, right? To sit down with Paul and Paul just you know, unfolds some stuff for you. you. Get to heaven. But, you know, he's in, what he's unfolded, it's, it's here. I'm not saying it's not, but 
to ask a question. Wouldn't that be great? Paul's talking and you, I'm the only one? Okay, I thought more would jump on that. But here's the crucial point, right? Here's what I'm, I'm hitting at. It's not enough for us, right, simply to come and profess Christ. It's not enough, right, just as it wasn't enough for Timothy to understand some things about the Scriptures. It's not enough for him to say, you know what, I am, I am assured and convinced, right, I'll continue to actually realize the Scriptures are actually true. That's still not enough. He's not even, it's not even enough to know, right, that uh, the pastor I sit under or, or the, the person teaching these things to me is actually true. He's true to the word. That's still not enough. All those things are good, right, and they're a part of it. But, but Paul is saying you have to continue in it. I think we're big as Americans to kind of have that idea of arriving. I've arrived, I remember a musician one time saying that to me, I've arrived. I just thought, well, I think you're done learning anything, right? You're, you're it. That's it. <clears throat> I remember listening to him going, you haven't arrived. <laughs> but think about this, right? How often do we do this in our own spiritual walk? I grew up in church. I know some things. I've learned some things about the scriptures. Hey, man, that's good. I, I actually know that the scriptures, they are true. You can almost skip that point, pastor. I know it. Oh, that's good. Amen. I, I actually believe the promises of Scripture. They are. Yes, that's good. Amen. I believe the testimonies I hear about my friends who speak of the Scriptures. I believe them to be true. Paul would say that's outstanding, but it's not enough. So he comes with this, this command, an imperative verb. He comes and he says, continue. It's not enough to know this. He says you need to abide in them. You need to dwell in them. You need to remain in them. You need to stay in them. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are to keep growing. I I don't know if anyone would honestly say, as as Jesus gave that command in Matthew 28, uh, teach all that I have commanded. Are you okay to say, you know what, I've learned all that he commanded? It's a pretty thick book. So Paul touches on, hey, be convinced of what you know. Those are those good things? Yes. Believe the scriptures? Yes. Have you learned some things out of the scriptures? Yes. Your pastor's teaching it? Yes. It's all good. But don't stand still. Disciples, right? What is the first thing you have to realize? That if you're going to stand right against the culture, and you're going to have, you're going to have to have some conviction about the word of God. You're going to have to believe and continue in it. This is your life. And this is the call of discipleship, isn't it? You hear the words of Jesus here. You can hear him echoing as he's telling Timothy, as Paul's telling Timothy, you can hear Jesus saying, pick up that cross. Jesus doesn't say pick up the cross and stand still. Pick up that cross and follow me. Right? So out of the gate, what is he telling us? All right, you've got to continue. Be convinced of what you know. Be convinced of the truth of it, the promises. Amen. But don't just stand still. Keep moving forward. You and I, right, are called to be followers of Jesus Christ. We're to be disciples. The second thing, my second point here. I think I went through that point in like three minutes. I'll have to add some more points. That's going way too fast. The second thing here is the scriptures address the greatest need. I know I've said many times the greatest need of every soul 
right? Your soul, my soul, every soul that's breathing is reconciliation with their creator. I believe as every Christian believes, God creates every soul. But we're born, right, into sin. Sin separates us from our creator. Our greatest need is reconciliation. That's your greatest need. God's greatest gift, right, is Christ, Jesus, a way in which we can be reconciled. The scriptures speak to this. Think of the, the strongest person you know outside of the Lord, right? Maybe you think of someone in society or our culture, but what are they susceptible to? I mean, what are they trusting in? What are they walking through? What are they enduring? You can make a long list. You think of our culture, the things that people are going to be uh, struggling and swept away with is what? Drugs, disease, broken homes, pride, selfishness, greed, war, crime, jealousy, death, grumbling, lawlessness, immorality, lust, indulgence, prejudice, discrimination, murder, gossip, emptiness. So, I mean, there's really, and that list can go on. You've probably thought of others that you would, you would add to that. There's no end to the evil in our society. Right? We, we, there are souls drowning in these things. And the world needs reconciliation. The world needs salvation. So is there wisdom, right? As Paul mentions in this verse, he says in, in verse 15, and, from, uh, and that from childhood, Timothy, you have known the sacred writings, which are what? Able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. Now he specifies what he's talking about, doesn't he? Through specifically faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So if this is our world and this is, uh, where we are to live and be a light and to shine, can you look at those who are outside of Christ with that same conviction and confidence that he is telling Timothy to have and say, there is a wisdom, my friend, available to you. His name is Jesus. Do you have that conviction that says, and I don't care how far you're gone. He's able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation. I don't know if you've had those kind of deep conversations. I remember having a conversation once. I believe I've shared this before. It's the only time I've ever heard someone say this to me. As I was encouraging him, as his family was going through a difficult time, he concluded that his, he was reprobate, was the word he used. He was telling me that God, Tyson, has made me specifically for hell. That was his reasoning. I remember telling him, God has also made me, and I'm standing in front of you telling you about Jesus. Am I wrong? Is he outside of your thinking? You might come across conversations like this where this is their reality. You don't know my brokenness. You don't know my emptiness. You don't know anything about me, to which we could say, I am also human. I know a lot more than what you think. I, too, have a testimony. Let me tell you, friend, the scriptures are the answer. Christ is the answer. Think about it. Where else can you go in this world? Any library, right? Any location 
in a museum, I don't care, go anywhere on this globe, where are you going to hear? There is a God who so loved this world that he sends his son into it. One, that there's a God, right? You can tell your, your friend you're suppressing him. But God so loves this world, he doesn't have to love us, but he sends his son into it. And he lives in active obedience to God's commandments. It's pivotal. Where else are you going to go that says there is one, right? His name is Jesus, and he's dealt with uh, our, our sin problem. Where you can say, yes, friend, I understand you're walking through some difficulty. But there is one who knows us better than a friend. And guess what? Even though you don't know him, he is one that, that took your sin upon himself. That he took our penalty and our punishment. The same one who cried out on the cross, why have you forsaken me, is the one who is giving us faith to believe. Christ died in our place. Tell me where else are you going to hear this? Jesus has taken the problems of your sin. He has lived active, obedient life. He has fulfilled the law and the scriptures. He has gone to Calvary. He was treated as a criminal even though he was innocent. And all those who repent of their sins and believe on Christ can claim in faith, right? All that, uh, the promises that the gospel brings. And it's not a hope just for today. It's a hope that never changes. It's a hope that is eternal. Tell me, where else are you going to go in this world to hear that message? The sad thing is, how often is our are our Bibles closed? How often those truths are not the tip of our tongue? See, you can't make anyone believe. That friend that one day I was talking to, I couldn't, I couldn't change his mind. It had to be the Word of God. The physician going to mock Moody could not find anything to mock him. All he felt was the weight of God's word. He realized he too had nothing outside of Jesus. He realized that he in his own life had nothing. He had no hope, no peace, no salvation. And what that man I came to criticize was saying was the very thing I need because our greatest need is Christ. Reconciliation. This is the power of God's word. Paul is so convinced, he tells us, this young pastor, hey, this is God's word. It is able to bring about the wisdom to have salvation in Christ Jesus. There's nothing else on the planet. And then he's so confident that he turns around and tells Timothy, this is my next point, that all of this, all of Scripture, every word of it is inspired by God. What a radical book, isn't it? I simply say the Scriptures are completely trustworthy. They have to be. They speak of Christ, who is the second person of the Trinity. It is God's story of redemption. It's about him. He's going to make sure you get a good copy. But notice this. This is my, my third point. Scripture is completely trustworthy. I break up verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God. Pause for a moment and think about that. Right? We can know, we can look upon creation and you can reason and do apologetics with those outside of Christ and you can reason and say there is a creator. 
Look at this world. Look at all the evolutionists who can't prove evolution, but they still keep trying. Look at all the scientists who are behind closed doors who cannot reconcile any of that together because they have to deny a creator. I mean, you can't have science without a created order, right? But they won't, they won't give you that. But that's the reality of it. But think for a moment that God, right? God wants us to know him, and we could not know him. We could know of him. We could look upon the trees and the ocean and the mountains and go, man, this is all created. And not have any idea who he is unless we have his word. So God sees fit to say, here is my Bible. I'm going to give you the scriptures. I'm going to do it in a unique way. I'm going to do it throughout time. There's going to be many writers, but it's all going to be under the inspiration of me, his spirit. So what is Paul affirming here? Paul in this verse is telling young Timothy, the scriptures are true. They have absolute authority. Now, Paul is writing about the Old Testament, no doubt, but he is including, right, the formation of the church, the new letters. Maybe in Paul's mind, he thinks of Exodus 32, where it says the tablets were God's work and the writing was God's. You know, two times in Scripture, we see the finger of God writing. It's the commandments in stone and the commandments on our hearts, Jeremiah 31. Well, what does Peter say about this? What does he say about Paul's letters? Is, is it true to Scripture? Paul, uh, Peter says this in 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. He says, Regarding the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Then he says, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which, we, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do the rest of the scriptures. What is Peter doing? He's taking Paul's letters and putting them on the same level as the Old Testament scriptures. So we see the affirmation, right? It's not just the Old Testament. We hear that argument. Well, the Old Testament is this. It is. Christ saw fit that we would have a New Testament, the New Covenant. So all of Scripture, that's what the hit is. The New and Old Testament is all God-breathed. It is produced by God. We can trust it. Paul is describing the Scriptures not the writers. It doesn't say, oh, God inspired a bunch of writers throughout time who wrote some things. No. All the things that are written were inspired by God. I love this quote from Matthew Henry. He says this. He says, Scripture is a divine revelation which we may depend upon as infallibly true. The same spirit that breathed reason into us breathes revelation among us. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men spoke as they were moved and carried on by the Holy Spirit. The prophets and the apostles did not speak from themselves, but they received of the Lord and they delivered it to us. Matthew, is, Matthew Henry is talking about Second Peter one eighteen through twenty one. 
But I'll begin in verse 20, 2 Peter 20. It says, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by the act of men of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. See, part of Timothy continuing with confidence is what? I have a book that's not man-made, even though there are uh, human authors. It is a spirit-driven, a Holy Spirit-driven, God-breathed book. Part of our confidence to speak God's word to our culture rests in the fact that I myself am convinced and I'm continuing in it. I'm convicted by its truth. I mean, we see this affirmed over and over again. Scripture affirms itself as the words of God. The Old Testament, right, claimed to be the word of God. We see over and over the word, the statutes, the law, the testimonies. We see thus says the Lord over 2,000 times. The New Testament, right, right behind it is the word of God. It references, it is written, Scripture says. Paul affirms it. Uh, Peter affirms it. The most, most importantly, I would think, is what did Jesus think about the Bible? Well, he contrasted the scriptures with the traditions and instructions of men in Mark 7. He equated his own word with the equal to the words of Moses and both being the word of God, John 5. He says the scriptures cannot be broken, John 10. He validated the most minute portions of Scripture, Matthew and Luke. He continually argued the validity of Scripture. See that throughout the Gospels. He saw himself as the focus and fulfillment of Scripture, Luke 24. He asserted that what was written must be fulfilled, Luke 22. He predicted the approval of the New Testament and assured his apostles that they would be kept from error, John 16. The Bible is absolutely trustworthy. Our conviction and our continuing in this conviction must rest here. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. If Jesus believed the scriptures, we must as well. Part of our standing against the culture is having some conviction that says, Here is the word. You may or may not believe it, but let me share with you God's word. Here is a verse. This verse is on the tip of my tongue. Let me share it with you. And trust the Holy Spirit that that word would take root and grow. So we see that the scriptures are for, they call us to discipleship. Pick up your cross. Come on. It addresses our greatest need, right? Specific faith in Christ, salvation in Christ. So necessarily, right? I mean, we have to know. Well, then it has to be trustworthy. It has to be God-breathed if it's going to lead us to salvation. So we need to have that conviction. It's completely trustworthy. And that's my fourth point. The scriptures are, I simply say, beneficial for life because Paul carries on, doesn't he? All scripture is God-breathed. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Right here, Paul simply says, doctrine matters. It's very common today to simply say, well, if we just attach a verse to it or call it Christian, oh, that's good, here's a new teaching. Well, we can't do that if Paul is saying, one, uh, we need to teach, 
And then the next two words have to do with rebuking and correcting for the purpose of training. Paul seems to have in mind that there are certain things, right, true to Scripture. And there are certain things that are not true to Scripture. If righteousness is the goal, then we must teach Scripture correctly. We can't just go, well, that's Christian or that's, that's a, here's a proof text. You know, say whatever we want and grab something out of context, slap it on there and go, look, there's a sermon for you. I think this is a problem with American Christianity. The problem with the seeker-sensitive movement. They don't move you past. They don't take seriously the command of Christ. They don't take seriously this passage. of The goal is what? Training in righteousness. Maturity. That doesn't happen if we don't open our Bibles. That's what Paul is saying. It's profitable. The Bible is for salvation. Yes, it's our greatest need. But Jesus said, right, bring, make disciples. That's how we do it. It addresses our greatest need. And then teach all that I have commanded. So Paul is following suit, isn't he? Hey, it is profitable for teaching. Oh, well, you're going to learn how to follow after him. I've got to learn some stuff and what God wants and expects of me. He's telling this young pastor, here, Timothy, in ministry, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to know some things. And there's going to be times, and I know this might shock some of us, not all of us are perfect. There's going to be times when I get some things wrong. We're going to need someone to correct us, to reprove us. And this is what he says, right? It comes and says it's profitable for teaching, for doctrine is the word, right? We often use to talk about the teachings of the church. That's what that word means. But think about it in a more practical way. What, is, what does God want you to know about him? What is God who spoke and said everything and created everything and set everything in its place? What does he want you to know about his creation? What does he want you to know about who he is? What does he want you to know about who you are? What does he want you to know about the beginning and the end? What does he want you to know about the meaning and purpose? He addresses all these things. What does he want you to know about family and marriages and children? What does he want you to know about finance? He addresses these things. He wants you to know some things. He wants you to grow in your righteousness, to apply his word to your life. So we see that teaching is good for this. Doctrine is a good word. It's a good, great word. As long as it's focused upon right teaching of Scripture. He also says it's, the Bible is profitable for reproof. Right? Sometimes we get off track. Sometimes we have a brother and sister who profess Christ who need to be corrected by Scripture. It's a good thing. It brings us back. It brings reconciliation. Sometimes we simply need correction. The word simply means straighten out airs. A pastor friend one time who was from Oklahoma would say, he'd line you out. Or I'll line you out. Sometimes we need the word of God to just line us out, right? Set that straight. That was his thing. It'll line you out. What's the point of it? Righteousness. We read in our scripture reading that there is a people who fear the Lord, who love the Lord. Follow after the Lord. If you profess Christ, this is you. Listen to what Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age 
looking for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. This is what the Lord wants in you, wants in us. If you remember Paul addressing the Corinthians, what is it? It's from disobedience to obedience. There is a people who are not who become God's people. There is those who are right outside of Christ, who come to Christ. And we see in Scripture, what what does God reveal for us in his word? See things that benefit every area of our life. Show us how to be righteous in the little things, the big things. And we would shine a light of his love to others. So we see right where the scriptures, they call us not to stand still, to keep moving. The scriptures address our greatest need. And because it addresses our greatest need, they can be completely trustworthy. It gives us and trains us, corrects us, instructs us. My last point here is simply, right? The scriptures don't benefit us at all if they're not implemented. Paul ends here at this last verse of chapter 3. He says, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And here is, here is the, the call. Here's the command. It's not an option for us. We are to mature in the faith. And I've made this point, I'll simply make it again, that we cannot be adequate, we cannot be equipped, we cannot be matured in the faith apart from the Scriptures. I mean, that's Paul's point. Gypsy Smith, the evangelist, said one time, he he told of a man who had said that he had no inspiration from the Bible, although he had gone through it several times. His response to this man was, Let the Bible go through you once, then we'll see a different story. His point is, it's not just, right, the knowledge. My first point and my last point are sandwiching everything in between. The pressing on and the conviction and the confidence of Scripture is it must be implemented. If a disciple presses forward, a disciple keeps going, right? It's not just the knowledge. It's not just trusting my teacher. It's not just growing or growing in assurance. It's actually implementing them into my life, right? Our knowledge must lead to obedience, to holiness, to life that is changed. William Barclay says this. He says, here is the essential conclusion The study of the scriptures must never be selfish. It must never be simply for the good of a man's own soul. Any change, any conversion which makes a man think of nothing but of the fact that he has been saved is no true change and no true conversion. He must study the scriptures to make himself useful to God and useful to his fellow men. He must study not simply and solely to save his own soul, but that he may make himself such that God will use him to help to save the souls and comfort the lives of others. No man is saved unless he is on fire to save his fellow man. 
That's a summons for us, isn't it? See, brothers and sisters, it is good to go to a Bible study. It is good to grow in our knowledge, but the knowledge has to go somewhere. We don't study for the sake of just knowing more. We study for the sake of my life being changed. So we must study the Scriptures with the help of the Spirit. Lord, give us your Spirit. Our affections and our, and our love for God must be placed on Him Father, I love you. I love your word. And when we begin to see our conversations changing, when we begin to see scripture on the tip of our mouth, speaking truths of God's word to different areas of our lives and to others, we begin to see it implemented in us. See, Paul will tell the Ephesians, he tells us we are God's workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Paul says, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Part of our prayer life as followers of Jesus Christ is two things. Lord, fill me afresh and anew with your spirit as Jesus taught in Luke 11. We ask and we knock and we seek. And what is, what is Jesus' answer? That God will not withhold his spirit. We should pray for his spirit. And then, Lord, empower me for the good works you set in front of me today. See, when you implement God's word, your life is going to change, right? You're going to mature. You're going to grow. Your confidence will be stronger. Your faith more resolved. These things happen. And when you implement this and you're following after the Lord, your family will be affected. Those you influence, there's something different about you. Your church family will be affected. See, our culture here, right, at Faith Community Bible Church is a direct outcome to our commitment to the Scriptures. We're not perfect, full of grace, right, for each other because, man, I don't know about you, but I need grace. But see, if we're not implementing, if we just simply study and then we're going to have a lot of difficulty bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We're not implementing God's word and getting his word in our conversations on the tips of my lips, my tongue. Well, then I'm not going to be picking up that cross. I'm not going to be walking humbly with my God. I'm not going to have a testimony in those situations of God's answer to your brokenness or God's goodness, we should give him praise. I'm, I'm not going to have an answer in the day of trouble when someone's looking at me and saying, you know what, God has created me solely for hell. We should be reminded, no brother, no friend. I'm standing in front of you as the hands and feet of Christ, his arms are open. Let me tell you about my Savior. Words need to be on our lips. Thomas Manton, the Puritan, said, What have I personally done with this truth that I have learned? A good question. We must be those who never reject, right, or despise God's word. We're not going to be perfect. We're often going to come to God's word and be corrected. Join the club, right? Sometimes we'll have the reproof as we learn and develop. Sometimes we'll, well, I used to think this, but now I think this. We're maturing, we're growing. 
But let your theology grow in line with Scripture. Do not let or force Scripture to fit what you think it should say. We must be those, if we're going to stand against the culture, we must be those who are going somewhere. Especially if we invite them to follow. You better be going somewhere. We must be disciples following Christ. We must realize that when we engage the culture, their greatest need is, is not my eloquence, although that might help, but it is Christ. I, I need to understand the gospel and to be able to share it. I need to have the conviction that, that all of Scripture is from God. It's completely trustworthy. I'm not going to look to other things or other means. I'm going to point this person straight to Scripture. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit. When that person comes to believe, I'm going to say, hey, hey, friend, guess what? Right? We've seen disobedience. Come to obedience. Come to know Christ. The thoughts have been taken captive. The person has believed on Christ. But let me tell you what Scripture also does. It affects every area. But see, none of that takes place. And Paul must understand this as he tells Timothy. And you're not going to be adequate. You're not going to be equipped. You're not implementing. So what made Moody so great, that conviction about the Word of God, and he thought it best that people heard God's words and not his own. We're going to close here in a moment. We're going to simply sing this hymn, How Firm a Foundation. Listen to these words. It's a simple hymn. It says, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am with thee, O oh, oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my gracious, omnipotent hand. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flames shall not harm thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus doth lean for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, that soul, excuse me, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. This is the confidence. This is the trust. Here's where we stand. I pray that we get God's words on our lips. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. The truth of your word, the commands of your word, we know they are good for us. But we thank you that you have given to us not just a Savior, but a way in which we can know the Savior. That all of your word that is breathed out by you through the writers throughout history, that we can stand confidently Know that we have such a firm foundation. We can stand for your truth. We can follow after our Savior that we can tell others their need for Christ and be confident in knowing, Lord, you're more than able to redeem, to save, not in part but in whole. But as we live this life, Lord, we will, we will come across trials. We'll come across moments where we will need 
reproof and correction. So God, I ask your spirit would always bring us closer to your word, that we'd have a heart and a life and a desire that would always be shaped and, and changed only by your word. And let us believe what your word says about you, about mankind, about the beginning, about the end, about all of it. The conviction. But Lord, most importantly, let us not be those who simply learn for the sake of learning. Let us learn to implement. That our lives would be changed, that we would be a light that shines, that we would uh, demonstrate to others and speak to others of, of your graciousness, of your mercy, of hope that is only found in Christ. Lord, lead us that your words would be on our lips. That when those situations come, the opportunities, Lord, are there. Let us not be hesitant. Let us trust the Spirit and speak your truth. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.